It's the Sticks and Bricks podcast where we take a look at all the parts, pieces, and situations that come up every single day in your home building business so you can listen, learn, and take action to build a business that's as strong as your homes. I'm your host, Brad Hubbard. Thanks for listening. Amongst some of the highest reported builder confidence levels in some time, I've also been seeing some news stories of a potential downturn looming in the housing market. And, given the belief that a housing recession hits about every 10 years, our industry just might be on the verge of seeing the next slowdown. So for today's episode, I sit down with Dan Levitin, a home building consultant who's been in the industry for a few decades now, to talk about ways home builders can weather the storm of the next slowdown, whenever that may be. Dan shares 10 steps that home builders should be taking now to recession-proof their company. Now, I must admit that this interview hits home with me. Our family home building business was one of those companies that limped through the last downturn, and unfortunately, we never recovered. So this is why you want to pay attention to this interview. Dan's steps are practical and easy to follow. You just need to take the time to get out of your busy schedule to take those steps so that your company can be ready to go if and when the next downturn hits. We'll jump over to the interview with Dan in just a moment. But first, if you're enjoying the Sticks and Bricks podcast, please take a few moments to leave a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. And subscribe so you can be sure you don't miss an episode. Finally, I'd love it if you'd let your coworkers and friends also know about this podcast. Thanks so much for the support and listening. Let's jump over to the interview. I have with me today Daniel Leviton otherwise known as Dan, from Leviton & Associates, and I want to thank you so much for coming on here with us today, Dan. Brad, it's my pleasure. Great. Now, you have, you're have you not uh, not new in this industry. You've been around for a little bit, so I don't know if, uh, for anybody who may not know who you are at this point, if you don't mind just giving a little bit of history on who you are, kind of your career, and why you do what you do every day. Well, basically, I was born in the business. My uh, uncle was a home builder, and my dad was his attorney. Mm -hmm. And my first job when I was nine years old was driving around the south side of Chicago with tax plats on my lap, identifying vacant lots. And quite honestly, I made more money then than I've ever made (laughs) since in my life, if you inflation adjusted. So it obviously had an impact on me, and it seemed like a good place to go. I started the business full-time in 1968, working for uh, the title company, going to school, finished up, joined a uh, merchant builder in Chicago, worked with them for a number of years, then became a custom home builder in 1980, joined a consulting firm uh, out of Florida, operating nationally, the Greenman Group, closed that place in 94 and opened Leviton and Associates, a strategic consulting firm for home builders, and I've been doing that ever since. All right. So yes, you you've been you've been around the block here a little bit. <laughs> I I have, and and the wear shows. <laughs> well, anybody who goes in the industry, especially those who uh, who have gone through that last great recession, the one I'm familiar with, of course, uh, late two thousands, and uh, you know took care of a whole bunch of builders on that end too. And that's really one of the reasons um, why I asked you to be on today. You had uh, done an article, I think back, it was a builder magazine, a professional builder magazine, um, shortly after the last downturn uh, for kind of some different steps to follow or things you should know, um, you know, to get through those hard times. And, and we hear 
out there, yeah, every once in a while you hear, oh, is you know the next one coming? You know, and they traditionally or historically say it's what every ten years. Is that about what you've seen? Well, uh, in the old days, we were in a seven-year building cycle, and then it kept getting longer. Uh, we've been having a, a pretty healthy housing market since the recovery, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been increasingly stronger. It looks like it's about to stall out a little. I'm hoping there will not be a housing recession, and certainly not a bubble that breaks, but mm-hmm. there are some steps, I think, that builders and developers need to be prepared for in case there is a slowdown. And, and understand, Brad, and I'm, I'm sure you and your listeners all do appreciate this, that, that housing is local. Mm-hmm. And even in the worst economic downturn nationally, there have historically been some markets that have held up quite nicely. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really a local question influenced psychologically by what people see on TV and read in the papers that changes their psychology, if you will. But if jobs are being performed and population is growing in the local market, then there's going to be an ongoing need for housing. Sure. It makes perfect sense on that too. And and, thank you for qualifying that ahead of time. And um, so I, I guess what we want to really get into here is if this would happen, you know, in your area, whenever, um, there are steps. And as you said, you gave me some steps, um, that you think everybody should kind of follow or should follow as they're thinking about the good times now to prepare, uh, to hopefully survive the next downturn whenever that may be, which we all hope will never be, but you know, reality is. So if you don't mind, and uh, you would, were gracious enough to give me this list ahead of time, um, so I'm just going to kind of go over these steps. I'll just give you the headline, let you expound a little bit on what you mean on them, and we'll see kind of where the uh, discussion goes. So you, your number one step on that was you should have known ahead of time. So you want to explain a little bit by well, what that yeah, means. Um, builders have a habit of just continuing whatever they did last week, last month, the year before, since it seems to be working. But you have a responsibility to your company and to your other employees and to your banks and everything else to know what's happening in your market. You've got to be tracking permits. You've got to be tracking sales prices. You've got to be tracking time on market. Resale housing is not necessarily competition for new housing, Yet it is competition for new housing. And when the resale market starts to slow, when houses are on the market more than 90 days, 120, 150, there's an indication that the market is slowing in general. And as the resale market slows, that pricing is going to change, producing greater competitive pressure against your new housing. There are signs that will tell you when a recession is coming. In the the big downturn, of the last decade, I was driving through St. Petersburg, Florida for had half an hour to kill actually before a meeting with a client. I, I passed one of the national builders new developments and there was a sign on the front lawn that said $100 moves you in. <laughs> and it then became obvious to me that this market was going down the tubes quickly mm-hmm. because if you put somebody in a house with $100, They're going to live there for the next six months or a year before you can get them out. And basically, you know, if you got a good corner, a homeless person should be able to pick up a hundred bucks on a weekend and get themselves a nice house. Sometimes the signs are not that visible, 
but they are visible if you take the time to watch them. Hmm. It's probably a little bit easier. You were talking about some of the the data and the things that you can watch. I imagine it's a little bit easier these days than what it was before. I remember back early in my career, back in you know early '90s, somewhere around there, um, going out to actual municipalities and doing permit counts. Um, a lot of that, I think, is online now. Probably in everything some way. is on. Everything is online now. Um, permits starts. The MLS data is online. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be in the state of Texas, uh, Texas A&M University has some fabulous information available about their markets uh, as far as resale activity. But most states, you can get access to what's happening in the resale markets. You can certainly check permits. And you have to get out and shop the competition. You got to go out to their sales office on a Saturday. And if there's no traffic in their sales office, there's not going to be any traffic in your sales office pretty soon. Sure. If they're giving uh, incentives away, you have to know that the market is soft. If they're not raising their prices, not just cutting the prices, but if they're not raising their prices and their costs are going up, the market is slowing down. Uh, it's, it's out there. All you have to do is, is take the time to look at it. Very good. Now, at what, and, and this leads us perfectly into your second step in here and where you said it's still not too late. So, um, you know, your eyes are well, open, you're out there taking a look. Basically, is this and, a, and once now, you see, Sure. Once you see that the market is slowing, there's some very specific steps you can take. The first is to look at your inventory and make sure you're not sitting on excess inventory. If your market is people in need of short-term housing, you must keep some, some inventory housing, but you don't need to keep old inventory housing. And if a house has been on the market for 60 days and it hasn't moved, it's up to you to get something done going to get rid of it, whether it's broker incentives or special incentives or getting your salespeople more active and getting rid of that excess inventory because while interest rates are currently low and it is yet not painful to carry that inventory, it will soon be very painful to carry that inventory. The same thing is true about land. If you think your market is slowing, you do not want to be a major landowner. You want to put yourself in a position where you are taking land out on options as possible and using the lots as you need them and not carrying that land on the books. Same thing is true with communities. You might have communities that are no longer worth operating. I did a study a couple of years ago for one of the major merchant builders just examining their overall marketplace and they had so many communities operating that were in direct competition with themselves, they were cannibalizing their own sales. Mm -hmm. And they closed 20% of their communities. Okay. Did, not, did not reduce their number of sales, but reduced their operating overhead and expenses by a million dollars a year. Wow. Now, when yeah, they closed that, I, are you saying, and just to be sure I'm understanding, they closed it, they sold that off to someone else, or they just said, you know, we're not marketing? Uh, we're not they, 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 they did various things. They closed sales offices and sold them from another location. They liquidated a land position that they did not need if there was another buyer out there. Uh, there are various ways to liquidate inventory, but there's active inventory and there's inactive inventory, and you do what is necessary 
to keep your cash flow solid. Sure. Sure. And that's, that's tough for folks to do, which leads perfectly, man, it's like, it's like you wrote this list, but it leads perfectly into the, the third step, which is take the time to honestly evaluate yourself. And especially for, you know, we were a small, medium-sized builder. It's tough in the family business to, to honestly evaluate yourself, like your step says, and to be able to even go on some community and say, boy, I really, you know, I ought to sell these to someone else or get rid of them or something. And, are you, do you find that's tough for builders that you've worked with in the past uh, to evaluate well, yourself, I'll, I'll, or do you have any tips for that? You need to have a pretty solid ego to be successful in this business, mm-hmm. or you would not buy the ground. You would not sign the paper. You would, you would not absorb that future debt uh, based on what you think you're going to accomplish. And while that ego is wonderful and necessary for your survival, sometimes it gets in the way of seeing who you are. Mm -hmm. And every builder is operating great communities, good communities, and not so good communities. Mm -hmm. And you've expanded in many cases where opportunistic developments appeared that may not be the best place to be at any given point in time, be it product type or price range. Uh, one of my clients is in a good growth market, and he is actually in the process of repositioning himself because he found he was not able to build what he was building and, and do it profitably. He was a move-up builder building just under the semi-custom custom price range, but he thought of himself as a production builder. Mm-hmm. And because of that, two of his communities could not compete with the production builder market because he was putting too much quality in. Sure. And therefore, he closed those two communities, sold out the lots, and uh, is doing much better without those two communities taking up his time and, and his dollars. Yeah, it's hard to get out of your own way sometimes. <laughs> A way it is, and, and we all like to think we're, we're, we're doing well, but, you know, we, we do some things very well, and that's where we need to concentrate if things are, are not moving as well as we would like. Sure. Uh, you had mentioned your next step is to plan for the short term. Can you explain a little bit on what you mean by that to prepare for a downturn? In, in, a, in a downturn, rule number one is survival. You do what is necessary to survive. Um, that's, uh, first of all, and, and you should have planned this years ago, uh, and when I was a builder, I made sure I did this. I have an asset preservation plan in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my house protected. I had my personal assets protected. I signed for personal loans for land, but my wife never signed on those loans. I made sure that if things went south, I was not going south along with them. Okay. And I'm not saying you're not going to live up, your res- live up to your responsibilities, both legally and morally, but you can limit those responsibilities if you're planning ahead. So you're, you're planning for the short term. You're going to make sure you survive. And that's you personally and your wife and your kids and everybody's going to have food on the table and everything else. And that's an absolute bottom line. Mm-hmm. Builders went broke in the downturn. Sure. And I'm not suggesting they shouldn't have gone out of business, but they didn't have to file personal bankruptcy if they had planned ahead. Mm -hmm. 
And and unfortunately, I, I have a number of friends. They weren't clients, but people I've known over the years that uh, were in business in one day, and uh, it took them ten years to get back in business after they got out of business. And and you don't want to be there. No, but no. that also means in the short term there are opportunities out there. Okay. There are ways to move your land holding and find private investors to come in and land bank for you. There are things you can do before it gets bad to prepare for times if they're going to get bad. Okay. And in just matter of how, how does someone typically find them? I mean, obviously that's something that your firm does, but um, any other thoughts on how that Typically, you know, well, the, the clients I have, the, the clients I have that have successfully found land bankers mm -hmm. have gone to high wealth individuals through financial planners, mm -hmm. through people they know personally, um, and have been willing to give up a piece of their profit for substantially reduced risk. Okay. I personally am, am kind of a risk avoidance guy. I love developments, but I would rather take less money if I didn't have to sign on the line to guarantee it. Sure. And in a downturn, I am looking away from that position. Right now, even if there's no downturn, I'm concerned about the political situation in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to have ramifications for the stock market and the financial market and people's psychology. This country is divided pretty much down the center politically mm -hmm. and 50% of the people are going to be unhappy with the short term outlook politically. And that's something to think about. That's right. Right. And that, that definitely has a play on the markets too. It's going to have a substantial play in the market. Mm -hmm. Well, we, that's something we can't, we can't settle, unfortunately. <laughs> no, you can't settle it, but you can be aware of that situation yeah. and be prepared for it. Right. Let's move on here, if it's okay, on to your next point, which is examining the potential for for niche markets or niche markets, depending on how you'd like to pronounce that too. Uh, well, so and, and there are some there are some great things. I've got a, a client now who uh, actually is operating in, in my home market and he's a personal friend as, as well as being a client. And um, there are very few land deals available in the South Florida marketplace. Hmm. Um, the, the problem down here is kind of unique in that we have way too much money from all sorts of foreign countries, European and South American, looking for preservation of capital. So they're buying stuff at, at far more than stuff is worth. Hmm. And, and you, it's not economic and you can't compete. But he just uh, bought a small piece, infill piece, that he's tearing down a house and building 20 condos. There are things you can do that is slightly different than what you're doing now that, that makes a lot of sense if you're willing to take the time and examine opportunities. Sure. Whether it's infill, whether it's going back into the remodeling business, a lot of the home builders that are around today, the small and medium home builders, were remodelers. Okay. And they've tended to get out of the remodeling business. If new home sales start to dry up in a given marketplace, historically, the remodeling business has gone up when new home business goes down. Sure. If people are staying in their homes longer. And, and you might want to look in, in that 
direction. You might want to look for small infill multifamily or mixed use properties, which are uh, a good opportunity. In, in one of the uh, Mid-South markets, one of my clients has found some really attractive small multifamily mixed use opportunities in urban locations that were not being bought by some of the bigger and, and more competitive builders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that is the advantage of a small one. You can you can pivot quicker if you need to. You're flexible, you're not tied in, that's right. And and quite honestly, a, a small commercial building or even a small commercial mixed use building with residential above it is is the same type of construction as building a house. You're not going to ordinary construction. You're not going to high rise concrete construction if that's not something you're familiar with it's it's still stick building and it's it's pretty simple sure just yeah some different fire codes maybe but that's about it but yeah, easy enough for anybody to pick up on that that's right good good now we had talked a little bit earlier in one of your steps to plan for the short term one of your next steps talks about planning for the long term how's that different from planning for the short term well in in the long term you're going to be a survivor and some people aren't and it's necessary to make the connections now if banks start taking back property and and this happened in the downturn there were some fabulous buys out there when markets went down and then came back on land mm-hmm. on banking opportunities on reo on things of that nature you need to make yourself visible and you need to make yourself available for those new opportunities when they come. And if you're still standing when the market starts to turn around, that's where the real money is made. Because you're getting in the ground floor on deals, on land that can't be duplicated again. And uh, same even with new plans or features, I guess that you wanna come out with that maybe aren't out there now, it's, that's a good time to be planning for that too. It's too easy, I think, for builders. Again, we were responsible as anybody else was to uh, do the same thing, but in the day-to-day, you get caught up in that and you never really end up coming up with a new plan. So we'd end up with 80-some plans, you know, 80% you never really built and some were just left over from whenever and you just kind of held on to them and Boy, didn't necessarily meet the market. Yeah, that's one of, that's one of my favorite things. When, when a, a client brings me in for a new assignment, I, I take a look at their inventory. And I have a client now in the Northeast who has been building the same plans for 20 years. And we have a regular fight <laughs> about getting rid of the 1275 Mm-hmm. that he hasn't sold one of in five years sure. because Uncle Louie liked the house and that's, you know, that's <laughs> why it's in the portfolio. You don't need to offer 35 houses right. in your community. You only need to offer a few more than the competition does mm-hmm. and you need to offer the good ones. And it's not just the, the plans. You need to refine the features. Sure. Tastes change putting in a little laundry room now where there wasn't one before in a mudroom feature is phenomenally popular in, in Texas right now and is differentiating one of my clients from a bunch of others in the marketplace because they're putting in these little design features that nobody else is putting in. Uh, some of them are, are, are cutesy, but they also make you remember that he put a dog washing station mm-hmm. in one of his models. And I don't think we've sold that 
it's, it's an optional feature. I don't think we've sold that at any of the houses, but everybody comments on it and everybody remembers it and it makes him stand out from all the competition when they come back to buy his houses. And he's having the best year he has ever had right now by putting in little twists and, and things that are different from the competition, different from the competition and people notice it and remember it and it stands out. Nice. As long as, yeah, as long as it's up to date. So you're telling me if I have a disco flooring option, I probably not, I'd probably think about retiring that one. Is that what you're saying? Well, but you know, and, and then things come back all the time. Somebody <laughs> came out with Harvest Gold appliances again. Oh yeah. I, Is that right? That and the avocado, Yeah, right? looking at it, I said, God, it felt like deja vu. You know, <laughs> it's something from the 70s or 80s. Right. But, but some of the new, and some of the new stuff that you can show can be an option. You don't have to spend the money for the um, the black stainless steel. You don't have to spend the money. Gee's got a cafe series of appliances that are just absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So put them in the model and, and offer them as an optional upgrade. But uh, again, you will stand out. You're different from everybody else. And that's what you need. When the market starts to get tight, They've got to remember you as being different and being better. So let's talk a little bit about your next step, and, and that's really are you ready for your customers? And that's you know making your sales center, your models, those things nice, clean, and presentable. And it's more than that. It's, it's creating a truly welcoming experience so that when the customer drives up to your sales office, they see something nice. Signage, where to park, signage that says welcome to, signage that says please come in, we're happy to see you. Salespeople that are upbeat and bright and happy and cheery. I, I You know, people tend to get depressed when things get slow. Sure. And those aren't the people you can afford to have in your sales office. Mm-hmm. Salespeople out there that, you know, someone come in, they go, yeah, it's been, it's been slow this month. And that's not something you want to be sharing with the customers on that one. Human nature sometimes to do that, but and it's easy to do that, but it's completely wrong impression. It's the wrong people and it's the wrong place. And it's not only not going to make you a sale, it's going to lose you a sale. So your plant has to be up to date. The models have to be up to date. The sales office has to be up to date. It has to be bright and cheery and well-maintained and landscaped. And we're getting into the season where the snow has to be shoveled if you're unfortunately up north mm -hmm. and things taken care of and you need live plants. Uh, more than ever, you need live plants in the winter hmm. in your models. You need to create life in a northern climate when the plants are dormant. It makes you different. Uh, and and scents, so it scents from a smell standpoint, it smells good when you walk in your sales office and you walk through the model, and your salespeople have to be at 100%. Very good. I never even thought of that. Again, I'm, up, I'm one of those up in the northeast that have to worry about the snow too, but thinking about live plants versus the plastic ones in in the winter. So that's Great point. Now, salespeople obviously have to be on your eighth uh, tips as really the entire company really has to be on in terms of a sales and a customer satisfaction mindset. Oh, absolutely. You have to be delivering. It's, it's 2019. You have to deliver a zero defect home. When I am talking to a client about taking on a new assignment, I asked them, I said, uh, 
you have a punch list. I said, is there anything on it? And if the guy says, yes, I don't want to do business with them. Hmm. That's just not a company that is planning to succeed. Mm-hmm. You deliver a zero defect home because that's what a customer deserves and that's what a customer expects and that's what the competition is providing. So your construction people have to be up to date. They've got to be keeping a clean site during the construction process. Mm-hmm. Um, if a customer walks through the house while it's under construction and you can put in the purchase contract, they're not allowed on the property. Mm-hmm. They're coming out every week to see their house being built. Sure. And it better look right when they come out. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Something we've always wanted to have is a clean house because that it goes everywhere. It goes from the trade partners you have on. If the house is dirty, they're not going to treat it with any respect either. So it goes from beginning to end, whether or not they're direct employees or not. So uh, you talk about does the market know you? And um, one of my earlier podcasts was actually with uh, Damon Camario, who went online and is, is going on with video. And that's not necessarily everything you mean by that. But what exactly do you mean by does the market know you? Well, they not only have to know you, but you're, you have to be conveying the proper identity. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be the person um, that is building the house that they want to buy and a person they want to do business with. That means you're visible in the community, you're active in the community, your company is visible and active within the community. And I don't care if you're building five houses a year, you still have to be out there and be a presence and somebody they want to do business with. And that's the image you convey throughout the entire process. Yes, you need to be online. Yes, you need to be on social media, but that's easy to do these days. Uh, there are some wonderful companies out there. You know, I'm not going to plug anybody, but there's some wonderful companies that can do this for you if you're not going to do it, but somebody's got to do it. Sure. No one walks into your model without having prejudged you in many categories. So once they've come out to see you, they've already predetermined that you are on their short list. Wow, so you really should be honored that they're there to see you at that point. Well, you're, they, hey, they did their research. They mm-hmm. invested their time to decide you're one of the people they will consider buying a house from. If you're not online and you're not on social media, the number of people coming through your door is substantially less. Sure. And it's inexpensive to be online and on social media, so it's just foolish not to do that. And it's something you can do yourself. So I I assume as an absolute, you've got a decent website, an attractive website, a website that gives reasonably good information to the prospective purchaser Mm -hmm. so that they do not remove you from the possibility list. That's Mm -hmm. all you can hope to do online. Mm -hmm. Stay on their possibility list. Social media should reinforce that presence. I put a name in, and it says um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, New Homes. Mm-hmm. you got to be on the list. Sure. If you're not on the list, they're not, not going to consider you. Right. And they're going to drive right by you unless you're across the street from, uh, you know, Lennar or U.S. Mm-hmm. Homes or mm-hmm. Pulte or whoever. Then, you know, and, and by the way, I highly recommend going in a location across the street from one of the big boys. <laughs> They've done their research. It, 
Well, it it not not only that they're generating traffic, and people if they're out, they'll come and see you, mm-hmm. and you can quite often go head to head with them uh, by playing a different game than the big builders do, and then steal some of their traffic. But again, you have to have a proper signage, and you have to be look nice, and you have to provide a reason for them to drive across the street and come and see you. But yes, you have to be ready, and you have to be visible. Otherwise, you're you're just not getting the business. So the final step here that you have is, and again, let's say you've done everything right. You're, you know, all over the place. People are seeing you, and you got tons and tons of people coming into you. Great, um, but being all things to all people is not always the best thing in home building. So don't plan to try to do that to get you through a downturn. Is that basically what you're saying? Well, and and you can't be. You 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 are who you are. You either build a price position. You build a value position. You have already predetermined what you wish to bring to the market, and you have to be true to that position all the way through. Mm -hmm. The price builder has to have a price advantage. Mm -hmm. The value builder has to deliver a visibly superior product, or the customer is not going to see the value. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And the value doesn't have to be more goodies in the house. It can be better site plan. It can be better home sites. It can be, you know, water running through the property, whatever it happens to be, but you've got to be true to who you are. And that means picking a position and then following through on that position. So there's a superior comparison to the competition. So specialize a little more rather than just saying anybody that wants a house. Well, there is a commoditization that occurs among all of the national builders today. Mm-hmm. You go into any major marketplace and you will find a two-story, four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house with a two-car garage, 2,187 square feet, plus or minus five square feet, selling for within 5%, plus or minus of what you're selling. Mm-hmm. I, I guarantee that. If, if you're in a major market, and it doesn't Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, whatever, there are 20 builders that are building the identical product. Mm-hmm. You can't build the identical product. You can't be one of those guys because the national builders have a price advantage, mm-hmm. have an advantage in visibility, have an advantage in reputation. You've got to do something different and do it better. And I've, I've got, I'm fortunate. I've been able to work with clients around the country that have been able to position themselves as offering something better than the national builders mm-hmm. or even the biggest builders in the marketplace. And I'll, I'll go back to this small builder in Texas. I've been working with him for about three years now. He's tripled his volume. Nice. In a highly competitive marketplace mm. because That's he's doing other. it better, because he's doing it better than they are. It doesn't mean he's selling it for less because he's not. He's selling it for more than most of the people are selling it for. He's delivering more. He's got a value proposition, but he's also got a quality proposition, and he's selling himself as a better alternative. And I say he, it's a a company with several people in it. Mm -hmm. They are selling themselves as the superior alternative to the large builder in the marketplace. You you, you can position yourself that way, but it's got to be legitimate. It's got to be a true story. It's got to be delivered in the product. It's got to be delivered in the process. And it's got to be delivered consistently. 
Now, do you say in, in that situation uh, or a situation similar where someone's coming in and positioning themselves as, you know, a better choice and, and are more expensive, things go south uh, with the economy and all of a sudden, you know, people stop buying, does price matter as much at that point? Or can they, do you think they can still survive knowing that they build up that reputation, they build up the, the fact that there's still value there, even though, you know, everybody's having fire sales everywhere? Or is that just a no-win situation for anybody? You're certainly going to make less money in a down market. If you've planned ahead, you're not going to go out of business. And I've got clients that I've been with, fortunately, for over 30 years uh, that I've taken with from the Greenman days to, to when I opened my own firm. And they survived the, the major collapse of the housing market. And they survived the major collapse of the housing market by being true to who they were. Were they making less profit than before? Absolutely. But they were still moving houses and making money. Not a lot, but making money in the, in the middle of the downturn. Mm -hmm. It's possible to do so. You just have to work a lot harder. Sure. And you have to stay true to yourself. And, and you, have to, you have to understand what the rules are. I, my philosophy, and it's something I've tried to impart to my clients, is never reduce your price. Okay. If you reduce your price, it diminishes the value of your product, and it makes your prior home builders angry as hell. Sure. Provide greater value in lieu of reducing your price. You have an obligation to your buyers to preserve the value of the homes they've purchased from you. And when the market goes south and values drop 10%, if you're selling a $300,000 house and you drop it $270,000, you got 40, 50 home buyers out there. That's right. Who are, who are really mad at you. Killed their value. You're right. Well, now, you can say, oh, it's not my fault. It's the market. That's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> and I said hooey because I, I don't want to put well, something you. on yes, tape. I need, that I need it, to that keep my rating at the PG level here. <laughs> yeah, substantially stronger than that. But you can give them better value for their money. They haven't lost their job. If there's a downturn, I don't see a bunch of people losing their job. I don't see 10, you know, unemployment going from 3% to 6% to 8% to 10%. We're not going into a depression. Mm -hmm. We are generating household growth. There's going to be ongoing housing demand. People are going to need houses even if there's a slowdown. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to have if, if there's a recession. We're going to have a slowdown. We're not going to have a depression. So it's not the end of the world and you don't have to liquidate the inventory immediately just to hang on, but you just got to be smart. Fair enough. Now out of the 10 steps we covered today, kind of to bring this to a close, is there any one that sticks out as probably the key one to focus on uh, to ensure that if that downturn or the slowdown or whatever comes that you can rest a little easier? I think the overall piece of advice I would give to a builder in a slowing market or even in a growing market is to keep an eye out and find out what's happening. Be aware of the market conditions. Is it going up? Is it going down? How fast? What's going to happen in the short term and the long term? If you know 
what the competition is doing, if you know what the job growth is, if you know what the employment growth is in your area, you can make plans for the short term and the long term to not only survive but to prosper. If you're blind and you just, you know, buy the next piece of ground and duplicate the subdivision you just finished and keep doing that over and over again, pretty soon you're going to drive yourself out of business. And that's that's even in a good market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fair. just going to happen a lot faster if the market starts to slow down. Great, Alton. I truly, truly appreciate your time. And I think anybody that's listening on can take these steps, can uh, kind of prepare themselves, get their head out of the sand, make sure they're keeping their eyes open. And um, hopefully, if this downturn or a downturn would come around, that hopefully you know we see the people on the other side of it too. And hopefully during this downturn, they can still sell houses and make some money. We all hope that. That's right. Well, thank you for your time. and My pleasure. Uh, appreciate it. Hope you have yourself a great uh, rest of your day. And um, I'm sure maybe we'll be inviting you back here at one point too. Always good topics to come up with and, and you're a wealth of information. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I really want to thank Dan Levitin for imparting his wisdom from his years of experience. His practical advice to just pay attention makes perfect sense, and his 10 steps really are that easy to take. If you can get yourself out of the day-to-day tasks to look for the signs of a slowdown, and if you can get out of your own way, you're in a much better position to survive the next slowdown. Thanks so much for listening to the Sticks and Bricks podcast. I'm Brad Hubbard. Happy building.